0: From the Catholic Archdiocese of Adelaide and Archdi Radio and Podcasting, this is the Parishes of Adelaide podcast for Wednesday the 20th of May. I'm your host, James Meston. This new podcast is one of the ways that as an archdiocese of many parishes, we can stay connected during this time when we are disconnected in a lot of ways. Every Wednesday, we'll be releasing a new episode that will feature the gospel reading and reflection for the coming Sunday, and conversations with different parishes to see how they are staying connected with their congregations at the moment. Today, we'll be spending time at the Brighton and Henley Beach Parishes. We'll begin though with a pastoral message for all Catholics in the Archdiocese. This week from our Vicar General, Father Philip Marshall.
1: So um, I'm conscious this is a time when people are feeling a lot of uncertainty, a lot of insecurity. Uh, about life and, you know, themselves. And so I just want to speak to that from the deep tradition of our faith by way of a question and, uh, and an answer. And I think that the answer is, in fact, powerful enough to totally transform everything if we could receive it, if we could let it enter into the depths of ourselves. But by way of a kind of preface to that, uh, because it's so easy in religious talk to just be a bit pious and you know disconnect from reality. So a couple of preliminary things. One is, there is no way to avoid suffering and pain in this life. It just can't be done. You know? Jesus, God's divine, eternal word, made flesh, endured terrible suffering. And there are things that happen to us that just hurt us. You know, we could lose a job, we could... The dream we'd always longed for can fall apart. Or, you know, we can lose a relationship one way or another. Or, you know, perhaps the worst of all, we can lose somebody we love through death. And those, those things are painful. You know, there's no way around that. It's, it's just the truth. So the question is, in part, like, is there a way to live through that? a way to find our way through the pain of things, through the uncertainty of things. And I think these things throw up for us a question we don't always ask directly or consciously, but the question is, who am I? I think it's a kind of fundamental human question. In this sense, I lose my job. The dream that I had longed for all my life falls apart. Who am I? And one possible answer is I am the one who failed. I'm the one who lost their job. I'm the one whose dream didn't come true. I'm no good. Um, I lose something I possess and want and i I'm the one who lost Now I think those things are you know we can get over, but some things we never get over the 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 rupture of a relationship you know that's painful for the whole of one's life. But it still raises the question, who am I? You know, I'm the abandoned one. I'm the one that got left behind. That That's a terrible thing to feel. And, you know, people do. Or worst of all, perhaps, I, I suppose you can't measure it, but, you know, to lose somebody you love by death. And then who I who am I? I'm, I'm the bereaved. I'm the one who's left to carry on alone. Yeah, you know, they're terrible, terrible burdens to carry. The trouble with with that is if that's the whole of our answer, I'm the failure, I'm the one who lost, I'm the one who got abandoned, I'm the one who's on the alone one. If that's all the only answer we can come to, what happens? Let's take a job we we didn't get that. We put all our our hopes in. The trouble is then that we're left easily the victim of bitterness and resentment. You know, we start blaming the people whose fault it was that we didn't get it or who worked against us. There's a kind of darkness creeps into our soul, a kind of poison where our world shrinks to a world of of resentment. Uh, uh, Even those deeper griefs of relationship and death, they can lead to our hearts being closed as we feel the world is unfair and the pain is too great and we didn't deserve it, which we normally don't. But so, so we need to say, so what does our faith say to that? And I, I haven't got time in this. I wish I could just from the beginning of Scripture right through to the every word and action of Jesus, the answer to the question, who am I, is there resoundingly, and it, it changes everything. And the question is always, who am I? I am the beloved. I am the beloved. Part of creation that God made so good that God rejoiced in it. There's a little passage in wisdom that says, God, you love everything you've made. If you didn't love it, it wouldn't exist. I exist because I'm loved. And not just am I the beloved, I'm the infinitely beloved. And to use human language, we could say, but this is the deepest truth of scripture. I mean everything to God. Imagine that, the infinite horizon of the, the energy and love of not only the universe, but infinitely beyond. I mean everything to God that's every every action of Jesus life and every word he spoke was really revealing that to those who didn't think they were you know the leper and the woman who had a bad name in the town all these people he says no no God's love shines like the sun or the rain falling on everybody not waiting for us to get it right we are the beloved or we wouldn't exist So I didn't get the job I wanted. I lost the dream I held. It's horrible for us, but I am the beloved. I am loved by the God of all creation and beyond. And in the end, if, it, if that starts to seep into our soul, you know, the loss of a house, a car, even a job, it doesn't matter that much, it matters, but it doesn't matter that much because I am totally loved and safe in that love. I think it's harder we lose a relationship We lose somebody we love through death. That's those pain don't go away. But how do I live through it? I know that I am the beloved and the one I love is the beloved. And the one who has died is the beloved. And as Julian of Norwich said, um, but not in a, you know, not in a light way as if just cheer up, everything will be okay. But ultimately, through the pain of it all, through the cross, All will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. We are the beloved. So that has a couple of consequences I'll just finish on. One is that I, I can learn to live not desperately attached to the things I own or the job I have or the things I possess. In fact, I'm better to be unattached to them, really. Because in the infinite love of all the universe, to whom I mean everything, all those small things kind of fade away. It's it's the, the life of St Francis, the life we all love, you know, the joyful saint who had nothing but had everything because he knew that God loved him. And so he was able to abandon everything but that and had a life that contained a great deal of suffering but, but still found joy through it all. Then a second, uh, a second outcome of this is that as I learn that I am the beloved, as I let this soak into me and it takes a lifetime, in fact I think it takes an eternity, then I begin to see that you're also the beloved, that you are totally the beloved of God, That you mean everything to God and my attitude to you changes, I begin to rejoice in you, you're not my enemy or my competitor but the beloved with me. And that extends into creation. The creation is the beloved. See how transforming that is? Now, that's the life of Jesus. The only time Jesus got angry seemed to be when he was in the company of people who did not see the other as the beloved. You know, the group who thought the woman had a bad name in the town and shouldn't be in the room. He got cross with them because he, he saw that she was the beloved as they were. Again and again, you look, the only times he gets angry is when people treat others as if they are not the beloved and his capacity to see that in people enabled free them to become the beloved, to change their lives. That's the way it happens. And so thirdly and finally, in terms of outcomes, and um, we also start to see God differently because I think too many people, too many of us all live with a fear of God, a concern that God might be angry with us. Um, God is testing us and demanding stuff of us, and uh, but really, God just loves us. You know, God is love, and and loves us utterly. Uh, and the failures and shortcomings are our incapacities to welcome that. And each time we do that, God just loves us more, in a sense, to say, "Come on, yeah. stand up, open your heart, find the love that will free you." So this is where I'll finish. Here we are in hard times and made more stressful by all that's going on. And I, th- I guess I just want to encourage people to share with me and every disciple this, this journey to, to daily open our heart to the, to the divine love that is always there by perhaps some practice of prayer, some moment of attention, some reflection on the scripture which will always speak that word to us. And, and as we open our heart to that daily, we open our heart to the freedom and to the peace that it will bring. And we find our way forward, the community of God's beloved.
0: To read this week's Gospel, we have Father Michael Kayumi, priest of Brighton Parish.
2: I'm reading the Gospel of Matthew, actually reading on the solemnity of uh, the ascension of our Lord. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. The eleven disciples set out for Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had arranged to meet them. When they saw him, they fell down before him, though some hesitated. Jesus came up and spoke to them. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all the commands I gave you. And know that I am with you always, yes, to the end of time. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ.
1: Christ. you, Lord Jesus Christ.
2: The ascension of a Lord is one of, uh, I would imagine, difficult solemnities or celebration to expound or to explain, and especially in our science world today, when you talk over uh, Christ ascending to heaven, where is heaven? Where is he now? So it's it's a kind of uh, a challenging teaching, a challenging doctrine to expound today but then uh, to get to see the really important, the meaning of uh, ascension of our Lord, you've got to connect it to the resurrection. So the power of the resurrection gives birth to the ascension of our Lord. So it's key when we share and even reflect about the ascension of our Lord, we always connect with the power and the grace of the resurrection. So as you know, the idea, the concept of uh, ascension is coming from a Jewish tradition. Not like uh, the ancient philosophers, Plato and the rest had a, a different concept, understanding of, 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 of body and spirit and what happens. But what we have in the scripture is based on a Jewish understanding. You go the whole of the scriptures, they had the concept, understanding of heaven. Heaven as a realm of God's presence, as a, as a supernatural realm. Where God lives, and then those who good, those who precious to Him, always are invited and always have communion with Him. So that's 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 the easiest uh, explanation I would give of uh, the ascension of our Lord. Connected with the power of the resurrection, and it opens up in the whole of the scriptures, not only the New Testament, but the, of, in, the in the Old Testament. I come from a different culture, and I'm, I'm an African. I'm a Kenyan. And one of my best theologians is, is dead now, was a, a priest, an Anglican priest, uh, Professor John Beattie. And he was an authority in the African tradition and cultures, religion, faith, death, time, all those big concepts and values. And this is what he says about time, because when you're talking about the ascension of the Lord, it's outside time and space. And this is what he says is understanding on African time. That time, the future is not there, it doesn't exist. What exists is now and the past. Not like the European understanding of time, where it is. You're coming from today and then you can you can go to the future, no, endless future. African concept has only two names and I say in Swahili. One is Sasa, Sasa is now, now, now what is happening at the moment, what you're experiencing here, our conscious presence here. And then you have Zamani, Zamani is the past, it's it, definite past. So this is what he says for an African Renaissance time is what is happening today. That's gives meaning. If you are to eat tomorrow, that's all the next day, that doesn't happen. But then it is now, and then you go back as long as we want. So when we're talking about an African, you talk the ascension of the Lord, they will understand that because it's now, it's not something that will happen. So Christ never just rose and disappeared, but rather He with the transfigured body exists now with us here. And if we talk about saints, we talk about holy people, we talk about good people, they don't just disappear. They take another form of existence. For instance, my father being a virtuous, a good person with good standing in the community, and actually he passes on, I can sit down and converse with him. I can I can ask him wisdom. I can I can relate with him and see he if he's present here. And then we can go back and since I was born, then we can talk about those things. So when I bring my understanding of Christian and Catholic understanding of the Ascension, it hits me because Christ, the scripture says that the Father Church will tell us that he never went anywhere, but rather the scripture says he, with a transformed body, glorified body, now he's everywhere. And the first Christians captured that, that they knew exactly what that meant because the power of the resurrection. They go back as you know the scriptures were written after Christ has risen and, 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 and ascended to heaven. So they are looking at, at backwards, they're looking history from backwards. What's happened is bad, what happened. And then immediately you go to the Old Testament, Christ is, is already prophesied. No? Emmanuel will come, God with that. So everything is seen from that perspective that the resurrection fulfills and gives us the meaning of anything that's actually tied with our Lord. So we, as I said again, you go to the Old Testament, they knew the realm of God, not something that was, was up in the skies, but like an, a, 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 a state of existence, where the holy, the loving, another is saying, the souls of the just are in the hands of God, they knew that. They, they, they never they never just disappeared, but they are in the hands of God. So I pull it further, push it further, we come to the New Testament. Who tells us about the ascension in a better and common language, easy to understand, than Paul. Paul had the experience with the resurrected Christ, the risen Lord. And for him, the very first thing that uh, he asked and he gets from the Lord is, who are you? The Lord says, you are persecuting me. Remember, Paul is persecuting the church. So Christ identifies, he's already risen and identifies himself with the church. So from that moment, I think the language of Paul is everything hinges on that sort of understanding that Christ is in him. I no longer exist, but rather Christ who is in me. So Christ never went anywhere. Paul knew that. He will talk about the church being the mystical body where Christ is the head and we are the body. So they had the understanding of what the ascension of alone meant. It's now the whole of creation is divinized. Christ comes to a sinful world. He comes with divinity and transforms, transfigures the world, and that's what we as a church we are, every moment we're given that grace. The ascension of our Lord reminds us that uh, our call is to go out, like we've read from the gospel, go out and continue the work of divinization of the world, transfiguration of the world, bring the good news to all the world, and as it says some go to all the nations and baptize them and teach them my commandments. So, To me, these are great moments, a great feast for the church and for us Christians, because we are given a task here. And the task is to go out and bring the same same message that Christ shared with us: that of love and of peace and of mercy. How do we know that? How do we experience that on a personal level? Let's go for Mass. I celebrate Mass or I go for Mass, and I can the quick of an eye, or even a second, you have a glimpse of what. Glorified body is or what heaven is just you can feel it and you connect you just just speak a spirit of a second or even prayer you see a prayer and you have a very deep spiritual space and for a fact you can experience the divine presence in you what about the Saints the Saints they give others aspect of uh, of the Ascension what happens that's we we, we, we now divinized we are now Transfigured in the presence of God. And by their arts, by their lives, by their teaching, they give us that glimpse. Saint Teresa of Avila, Saint Teresa of Siena, Saint Teresa of Calcutta. They give the world a glimpse of what the ascension is. And I said again: Christ is very much with us. He says, I'll be with you till the end of the world. My name is His name will be called Emmanuel. God with us. So, as we celebrate this feast, actually we have strengthened, even in this pandemic moment, that what we've got is the life of God in us. What we've got is good news to transfigure the world that is broken, the world is at, at moment, whether it's fear, there is anxiety, there's pain, to give the world something bigger than what we can see and what we can experience. To me, that's a great mission. And once we, let's say again, we connect with the power of the resurrection, then we are ready now. To be sent because you're not alone, he's with us. As I said again, even in my life I think that's become a powerful a powerful experience, a powerful reminder and hope every time. And like Paul, when you realize and appreciate what God gives us in resurrection, then like Paul, you have a courage to say now, it's not I who live anymore but Christ in me, and if Christ is on my side, what can I not achieve? So this is what I want to share with you, my friends, is that Christ ascended, but then he has given us that moment where we can experience him wherever we are, and whatever circumstances because it's outside time and space, remember what I have said from the African concept, time is, devi- is defined by the events of the day, what's happening now? What will happen tomorrow? And we can go from the beginning, I was born and God formed me. Formed me. He has been my good shepherd and I trust he will continue to shepherd me and be with him. And that's my joy and that's the joy I want to share with you. Let's go out then with courage, with humility and trust to transfigure the world to make it a better place, a place of love, of hope, of mercy and of
3: joy.
0: I then spent some time in conversation with Father Michael and other members of the Brighton Parish. Marian Ryan Crabb, Pastoral Worker at the St. Martin de Porres Church in Hallett Cove. Marianne Loftus, Deputy Principal at the Macaulay Community School. And Claire Thewlis, Pastoral Associate of Brighton Parish. That notion of of going forth and making disciples of all nations, I think it's, it's a very powerful statement, and I think that at the very front end, it conjures up images of evangelization, images of proselytization, um, which in actual fact, I think, are not the most powerful tools of going forth and making disciples. It's living by example of saying, this is the example of Christ, church and the spirit in my life. Yeah. And this is how I'm acting. So, Claire, from a, from a parish point of view, I mean, this is, must be a big responsibility um, um, for the parish here at this time when everyone's disconnected. We can't really spend time together in community. How is the parish... Trying to work around uh, these changing times at the moment and still remain a really active and engaged and passionate spirit filled community?
4: Well, we've put a couple of things, a few things in place, James. Um, We have a, a database of all parishioners, so we are calling all the parishioners to make sure that they're okay. We've got about eight nursing homes that we can't visit, so we have already sent out two cards to these people to say the Brighton Parish is thinking of you. We sent one out at Easter. We have sent out another one just recently and we've put um, the spiritual communion prayer in there, the fact that we are thinking of them and also some scripture quotes so that it gives them a sense that they're still connected with us Um, and also we are making, as I said, phone calls just to say, hey, we haven't forgotten about you. Is there anything that as a parish we can do for you? Mainly they're the main things as a big outreach. In terms of because we are live streaming our masses, we are able to invite a few parishioners to come. So, again, we are using that as a, a tool to get people to come to mass, um, and that way they are still connected with us. Because our church is right next door to the office, we still have people that are calling in, yeah. and so we're there to so if, and, and you find that most people just want to chat.
0: And this, I was just about to ask, so is that when people are calling in, is that what they're wanting to do, just to
4: yep? Some connect? people just just want to chat. So <laughs> and what do they to, chat about? Just anything. It's you know about the COVID. About um, I'm missing mass. I'm missing my friends. Um, some of our older parishioners or more experienced parishioners, when you if you call them to say, would you like to come to mass? I'm not allowed. And you kind of go, what do you mean you're not allowed? Oh, my family said oh, I'm not allowed to leave the house and and so there's there's a sense of their freedom has being taken away. I mean they're okay, but because they're over seventy seventy five their their children have said, "You cannot leave the house right and out so, of concern out of like concern of really, and yeah, that's fantastic, yeah. but it for them. It's like, I've got to do what my kids tell me, but I would like to disobey them <laughs> and come to Mass. So the ones that live local will come in and they'll tell you all this. Um, right. And that, yeah, so it's about and it's about us being present to them and just
0: listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary, and down at the um, Hallett Cove Church, part of this Brighton Parish, of the Hallett Cove um, Church is, is there as well, what sort of things are you finding that are perhaps – unexpected things, unexpected positives that have come out of this. I mean, I know that everyone's been saying, you know, it's very difficult because the things that we ordinarily would do have been changed. People are are missing that. They're feeling that that's not there, but I'm hearing a lot of stories about kind of like unexpected positive moments of connection that are happening through this. Have you noticed anything like that in terms of how Cove?
3: Well, yes, because it's completely different now and, um, you know, we don't have the congregation that we have on a Sunday. And in Hallett Cove we have two masses. But we've actually managed to st- start that up again. So in the last few weeks, we've had two weekday masses. And, and again, how does that
0: work? How's it working?
3: Well, that's actually working very well because, um, it's, uh, uh, sadly, it's an invitation. And, and right. you know, I had a text from a guy who asked me if he could come tomorrow at midday. And he said, times we're living in, he said, you have to book in to come to Mass. And I said, you know, thank you for your understanding. But it is true because, you know, with the policy that the government has put in place because of this, we are very mindful not to overstep that. But we want to keep open. We want, as Claire said, you know, we want to try and include as many people as we can. Um, And so... Basically, if it is an invitation, we um, we don't invite the same people. We try and you know because hopefully, when this is all over, we'll all come back together and um, yeah, and and live our lives. And, and um, where we are in Hallett Cove, we've got a, a school just right next mm-hmm. on the on the um, on the same grounds, basically, and that is a very um, thriving school. You know, they have gone from I think under. 300 to now over 400 students.
0: This is St Martin de Porres, isn't it?
3: St Martin de Porres, and that's our church up there. And um, as I say, that's expanding. So we're getting more and more families. And and what Father, I know, is trying to um, achieve and what we're trying to do as a parish is to connect. Mm -hmm. But now what we have to do is we have to deal with what we've got and and use what we've got. Um, And, of course, people sadly are passing away, so we still have funerals. You know, you talk to the funeral directors and obviously father and, um, and you know these people. And that is something that we are actually connecting in the end of people's lives. We're actually because of this, because we're actually going to their homes and we're actually building, you know, like father would go to maybe... You know the hospital and anoint them, or go to their homes, and so I feel that I've connected more in this time with individuals rather than a group of obviously, and uh, just by bringing communion and um, and getting to know the families. You know that that the families maybe it might be the old, as Claire said, the older person might be coming to mass and and whatever, and then the family, but they see, and I think it's really good that we show that it's a positive. And last Father said. Today we can change, we can actually be good and we can actually do some good.
0: Now, speaking of the close relationships between schools and and church, where we are here right at the moment down in uh, Brighton at the parish office, we have this close connection between the church and the parish offices here. And then right next door, of course, is the school. Uh, Mary-Anne, you, of course, are there at the school. Um, how are you finding at the moment, I mean, it's been, this has been a crazy year, hasn't it? Because it's been the establishment of the new school uh, being Macaulay. It used to be um, St. Teresa's primary school. It's now a larger school community than Macaulay. Um, How are you finding with all of this change going on at the moment, how it's affecting the students at the school? How are they feeling through all of this idea, especially in terms of um, the way that they're looking at, in terms of the bigger, broader issues of going, what, what sort of world is this? Um, How does my own spirituality, my forming spirituality, it is for them. uh, What does it look like in light of all this stuff?
5: I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face watching you say that. Yeah, because we can only see positives. Okay. Talk about that. And for us, well, at at Macaulay, and I know Christ the King and Sacred Heart, all the schools connected with the parish, I think what Father Michael was saying is we live for today and we look at all the beauty in today. And one of the things with school, with their responsibilities, is to be sure that we keep everything as normal and as safe as possible. So Mm. we've always been open. We've always been connected and we're always there for, for the children and that's mm. the most important thing. And um, I don't want it to sound flippant when I say there hasn't been a lot of difference for us with children coming into our community, having that connection. Um, Father Michael was talking before uh, briefly about um, keeping that connection with the children, their spirituality. Uh, we've had uh, a Mother's Day, um, Father Michael... Filmed and, and talked about mothers and making that connection mm. with our families, but also with the children. So, so we had two platforms that we could share through Facebook, through our website, uh, with those with families and children to be sure that we we will always have that that connection yeah. with with not church the building, but church with each yeah. other.
0: Which is really important. I think, too, schools have been this one sort of place that has been relatively uninterrupted. I mean, we were all sure. I mean, I'm working here with podcasting and radio, but I do work as part of Catholic education. And during the holiday period, as I'm sure you were as well, the week leading up to holidays and all through the holidays, we were all planning for this eventuality that never occurred. Mm. <laughs> so like, mm. and I think at the other end of it, everyone was kind of like, oh, what, we're not doing any of <laughs> this now? It's like, no, this was just preparing for like a, a worst case scenario that we might have to do this whole um, school term completely remotely, which definitely not the best case scenario. You want to be there in that immediate way. But school's been able to remain mm. Constant and consistent, and I think that in terms of the um, the lives of children, having that consistency is just so crucial. That's what we've we've done. We actually didn't call it
5: remote learning; we called it connected learning. We figured okay. remote actually did make you stand apart. Yeah. It was distant. Language is really important. Yeah, so. that's right. So again, trying to find that positive twist with our with our connected learning was so important. And again, we we just turn those challenges into to positives, and you're saying about the planning, we're continuing that way. Our, I think it's opened up the communication with families. Um, it gave us that vision to be sure that we, we do remain connected no matter what. Um, so I think as far as pedagogy with teaching is concerned, it's it's been nothing but positive for us.
0: Right, so part of what we're doing here with the Parishes of Adelaide podcast is that we're inviting everyone to give a message out to the broader um, Archdiocese of Adelaide parish community, other par- parishes, other parishioners, other schools. Thank you.
2: I'll, I'll go th- again to the theme of uh, our reading. Because we got again, a good reading today, didn't we? Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Actually, it, the first reading, again, from the Acts, but this is, I, I love it because it's what's, what says to me and says to the church is, God is already transforming our world today and raising up to his presence. Come Pentecost, we see now God coming out to us again, what a beautiful merging and unifying of the two realms. And for us in humanity we've got to trust him, we've got to be open to his true design because uh, he's, he's everything that humanity yearns for. And probably one of the best moments that we're having today that we can think deep questions about us, about myself and when I begin thinking the deep questions of life, the Spirit leads me to Him. Yeah, My my very self leads me to something bigger than myself and if I'm open, I'm sure God will continue to transform and, and, and make us better people and a better world to live. So trust in Him, be open to the Spirit, be kind and pray. Before finishing, I think we, we I would like to send this message to all the people, the doctors and the nurses and all the people who are out there to make a difference and mitigate the impact of uh, of this pandemic. I would like them to know that we think of them and we pray for them and we pray that uh, with God's guidance and the gift of the Holy Spirit, very soon humanity will come back to uh, the new normal.
0: From Brighton, I jumped in my car and headed straight to Henley Beach Parish, where I sat down for a cup of tea and the most delicious coconut macaroons I have ever had, no kidding, to have a chat with the parish priest there, Father Paul Cashin. We're here uh, moving towards Pentecost as well at the same time. This must be a very odd time to not be connected with parish in a traditional way. Yeah. How are you staying connected? How are you managing to um, to feel in community during this time in the liturgical year with Henley Parish at this time? What are you doing? There are probably three important aspects that we feature trying to do.
6: Before the lockdown came and people were coming to church for the last two Sundays of that, we asked them to write down their name, phone number, email address. Mm-hmm. The pastoral council has taken that on board and there is that there are about 20 or 30 people initially, probably more now, who have taken on the role of ringing other people, uh, some of them more than once. And often they'll ask the, one of the priests to, to ring them back mm. because they might have some problem. Right. Sure. So that's the first thing. So that has been wonderful. and yeah. And the feedback. Has been really good too, because just for an example, someone from the pastoral council rang, rang this person and said, oh, "Why are you doing this?" "Well, just to keep in touch." And um, this other person said, "Well, well, I can do that too. I'll, I'll start ringing around my my own friends." So basically, utilising the opportunities that we've got now to the best of our ability, thinking of others, thinking of, okay, who's going to be the most isolated? What can I do about that? Mm. I can't go and see them, perhaps, but I can ring them.
0: This is really interesting that what I'm hearing more and more at the moment is, although essentially all of our traditional means of communication from a parish point of view, the way in which we come together, the way in which we worship together, take part in things in community, All of that pretty much has needed to stop. But at the same time, what I'm hearing more and more is that parishes have never been more connected because people are reaching out and actually connecting. Is this for you and the parish now something that you are going to kind of take with you post COVID-19? Is has the way in which you're going to be uh, parish changed in light of of this in that way?
6: I, I think it has. And, and why has it, becomes a real question. I think uh, one of the reasons why it's changed is because people have more space in their life. Uh, talking to my brothers and sisters, or my, probably my nieces and nephews, more, more importantly, with families, they relish the fact that they are gathering, they're sitting down to meals together and things like that. Yeah. Um, I walk along, I try to go for a walk every Afternoon along the beach here, uh, beachfront, and the number of families that are walking, particularly on the weekend, Mm. the number of families that are walking, riding uh, together. It's extraordinary, Mm. absolutely extraordinary. So I think that's what we're picking up, and that's how people are responding to the fact that the lockdown meant that, okay, we can use a phone. Yes. Or email or Zoom and, and so on. One of the things that we, we were having a discussion before the lockdown, what can the children, what can the school do to help? And one of the, um, she was, this she's the upram came up with the idea that, OK, the grandchildren, the grandparents of these children need help to uh, use the technology of today. Well, we all know that, we've all had that experience. And um, so they made little magnetic things for the fridge. Ring Nana, ring Grandpa. Right. Just to remind people. A constant reminder. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So those are the sorts of things that sort of came to the fore. Just want to go back to something that you mentioned beforehand that really struck me. You're talking about the connection with family being so much stronger. And this was in relation to when I was asking about how do you feel that engagement with parish is different? What is the connection between the idea of people being closer to family and people being closer to parish.
6: Well, I think um, Pope Francis made the point: the family is the domestic parish, uh, the domestic and the parish, the you know the community parish, is a is a combination of all that. I think we're beginning to see the importance of that beginning to happen again. Mm. One of the things that sort of uh, people were aware of before the, the lockdown was the fact that they didn't have time. Families didn't have time together. They were taking them to football, to to cricket, to whatever. I've noticed this dancing. so so much. Yeah.
0: We were talking my wife and I, we went on a long walk the other night and we were taking sort of like an hour or so out just to walk and, and just generally just aware that there was nowhere that we needed to rush to go to to take kids to things and we hadn't done for a while. And we were lamenting going are we going to have to go back and do all this again? Do you know what I mean? When previously you just get so used to it. And I think this is like in conversations that I've had with people around family and life and job and and parish even, you get so caught up in a sense of going, this is how we do things, but not really stopping and questioning, is this how we want to do things, you know? Exactly. And I think that that's probably the gift that God has given
6: to us through this experience I think yeah Um, and it's a gift of God it's not just sort of click the button and there it is it's part of our heart part of our being part of who we are Mm. is to not be rushing around all over the place
0: yeah
6: if we can help it and uh, perhaps this is one of the great things that will come out of this corona thing long as we don't sort of slip back into what it was.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's a danger of that happening? Of
6: course there is. We're human beings.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if you were to be, had the opportunity to be in front of the congregation now and talk to them about this issue to say, these are things that we should really keep at the forefront of our mind, at the forefront of our hearts to make sure that we don't just revert back to a, a way where we miss all of these wonderful, valuable lessons that this is, this is teaching us.
6: Yeah, I think that I, I wouldn't become, uh, I'd hope, not to be negative first start. Yeah. Not judging the past. Sure. But looking look what we've experienced.
0: Let's work on that. Parishes of Adelaide is a production of Archdi Radio and Podcasting for the Catholic Archdiocese of Adelaide. You can subscribe to this podcast and have it delivered to your device every Wednesday as soon as it's released on whatever platform you're listening to it on right now. Music in this episode is from Lee Rosevear, Vlad Hayahuklu and Hyde. If you think there are other people who may enjoy this podcast, please share it with them. And if there are others you know or in your parish who don't have the technology to listen to podcasts on their phone, iPad, computer or other digital device, we can make CDs of this podcast available. Please contact me by email. That's in the show notes and we'll work out how to get those to you. You can also ring on our message line and record your own message to the Archdiocese for inclusion on the next episode of Parishes of Adelaide. As this podcast is all about parishes and parishioners of Adelaide, it seems only fitting that we feature all those voices as much as we can. I'll include the number in the podcast show notes too, but if you call 8301-6633, that's 8301-6633, and follow the prompts, you can be heard on the next episode of Parishes of Adelaide. It'd be great to hear from you. My name is James Meston. I look forward to catching up with you again next Wednesday. See you next week.